A warning, this episode features dramatizations and discussions of torture. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Sumerian traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Ereshkigal, queen of the underworld, lifted up the flayed corpse of her sister, Inanna, queen of heaven, goddess of love and sex. She placed the corpse on a massive meat hook on the wall next to her throne, so she could stare at her sister and smile in satisfaction. Ereshkigal rubbed her pregnant stomach and grinned. She's the reason your father is dead, little one. And now I've avenged him. Our family will never be the same, but at least you'll know the person who took him from you is dead. A tear for her dead husband emerged from Ereshkigal's eye and rolled down her cheek before dropping to the ground. But then she felt a slight pinch and looked down at her drenched feet to find that her water had broken. Her baby was on his way. Welcome to Mythology on the Parcast Network. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Today, we're continuing our deep dive into the ancient Sumerian myth of the goddess Inanna and her descent into the underworld to overthrow her sister. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ninshubor, Sukal, head servant to the great goddess Inanna, had waited in Inanna's temple three days for her return. As the sun rose and set... 
she noticed that the people in the city had grown sad. Their normally rambunctious activities had quieted as they roamed the streets with their heads hung low. The sex workers, priestesses of Inanna, who were normally quite jovial and could rarely keep the men away, were now languishing. Men walking past their gorgeous bodies without a glance. Even the birds had stopped singing, their normally frenetic chirps stilled in the breeze. Sex and love had died in the world, a calamity so great it could only mean that Inanna herself, the goddess of romance and passion, had perished beneath the earth. Ninshabur was distraught at the loss of her mistress. She dressed in sackcloth and adorned dark makeup for mourning then climbed to the top of Inanna's temple to announce the horrible news to the people. Citizens of Uruk, I have seen the malaise that plagues your souls. This inconsolable depression is not without cause. The great goddess Inanna has been trapped in the bowels of death. Join me in mourning and shake the skies with your cries of sorrow. Show the gods above how much you miss your queen. And hope beyond hope that we touch their hearts and convince them to bring Inanna back to the land of the living. Upon hearing about the loss of their beloved queen, the people of the city fell to the ground crying in desperation and loss. They tore their garments and rolled in the dirt, all in an attempt to reach out to the gods up in heaven. With the news spread, Ninshabur descended from the roof, ready to climb atop her horse. Yet as she paced across the temple grounds, she stumbled upon Dumuzid, god of shepherds and Inanna's current husband. He was napping in the garden amongst the flowers, as if nothing was amiss. Ninshabur shook him awake. Dumazid! Uh-huh. Inanna! This... Inanna is dead. Dead? Does that mean... I rule the kingdom? Did you hear what I said? Your wife is dead. And yet, you shed no tears. Do you expect a man to cry in front of a woman? Leave me to mourn in peace. As you wish. As Ninshabur walked away, she couldn't help but feel put off by Dumuzid's reaction. She knew that everybody mourned in their own way, but it seemed to her that Dumuzid wasn't about to mourn at all. She climbed atop her horse and shrugged. She had more important things to worry about than Dumuzid's reaction. She rode down the road and out of the city, heading towards the temple of Enlil, god of the air. As she rode through the countryside, she noticed that the sad and loveless atmosphere of Uruk had spread far beyond the city's walls. The bees lay still upon the ground, the lizards skulked beneath the shadows of the rocks, and the shepherds allowed their sheep to wander into danger. The world was slowly dying without Inanna. Surely the gods would want to help bring her back. Ninshabur arrived at Enlil's temple and hastily ascended the steps. She knocked on the temple door, and a servant pulled it open. 
However, when the servant noticed that Ninshabur was the one who knocked, they immediately shut the door in her face. Ninshabur knocked persistently, demanding the door be opened, but she was met with only silence. Still determined to help her mistress, she rode to the next city and the next god. She approached the temple of Nana, god of the moon, and knocked upon his door as well, only to be met with the same response, a strange look from the servant and a door slammed in her face. Ninshabur rode to the next city, to the temple of Enu, supreme god of constellations and the source of all things divine. She hoped beyond hope that he would help. Yet when she approached his temple doors, she knew they would not open for her. Upon his temple door, Enu had left a message, simple but devastating. It read, Inanna has earned her ignoble fate through her ignoble actions. She should be left in the grave where she belongs. Ninshubur fell to her knees, tears pouring down her face as quickly as they had when she had first realized her mistress was gone. Only now she was lost and without hope, doomed to watch the world die from lethargic indifference. She wiped her eyes, the moistness of her tears slicking her fingers. For a moment she sat in her sorrow, but as the wind wicked away her tears, a thought entered her mind. Anki, god of water! Ninshubur pondered her situation. She'd been told by her mistress not to seek her father, but her mistress was dead. Her mistress's orders no longer held weight, so if she wanted to, she could ask her father for his help. Ninshubur raced out of the city with newfound excitement. Perhaps she had one last shot at saving her queen after all. We'll see Ninshubur make her final effort after this. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. And now back to the story. In seeking help to save her mistress, Ninshubur had already been turned away by Inanna's only three allies in the world. Now her last hope rested in Enki, god of water, and Inanna's father. Unfortunately, Inanna had wronged Enki before descending to the underworld, and Ninshubur was unsure whether Enki would be willing to help. After half a day of riding, Ninshubur reached Enki's temple and ascended the stairs to the door. She raised her hand to the stone and held her breath as she knocked, hoping that she wasn't making some grave mistake by coming here. She stood for what felt like an eternity before the temple door began to slide open in front of her. Inside stood Isimud, the god with two faces, servant of Enki. As they locked eyes, Isimud immediately began to close the door. Ninshubur's heart dropped as her last hope began to close before her, but then... Isimud! Who's at the door? Enki himself shouted from inside the temple. Ninshubur watched as Isimud rolled his eyes, then pushed the door firmly shut. But she could hear Enki and Isimud arguing through the door. 
I have given you an order. Open the door and let her in! Ninshabur watched as Isimud opened the door once more. He wore a dejected expression on one of his faces, but the other appeared stoic. He gestured for Ninshabur to enter. She walked into the room to see Enki himself sitting on the couch, his hair messy and his clothes bedraggled. A cask of wine sat on the floor next to him, and Ninshabur could tell that it was nearly empty. Hello, Ninshabur. Have you come to return that which your mistress stole from me? Stole? Uh, I don't recall her stealing anything from you. You think I would simply give her the mees? It's my job to guard them against all who would seek to use them for personal gain. I'm sorry, my lord. I, I don't mean to talk poorly about my mistress, but it seems she was untruthful with me about how she acquired them. <laughs> my daughter is many things, but truthful has never been one of them. Has she sent you to negotiate on her behalf? My lord... <sighs> Inanna is dead. What? <coughs> How? When? She's far too powerful to die! She's too powerful upon the earth and up in heaven. But she traveled to the underworld to overthrow her sister. Inanna? Why must your foolishness only grow with your power? Does that mean you won't help her? <sighs> My daughters have always needed me to mediate between them. I've known for quite some time that their squabbles would end in death. I'll do what I can, but ultimately, Ereshkigal is the only one who can release Inanna. The world better pray her need for justice has been sated. Thank you, my lord. Uh, do you intend to travel to the underworld yourself, or should I go with your message? The living have no place in the underworld. Even us gods are constrained by its rules. <clears throat> Ninshabur watched as Enki stood from his seat, his hands picking out the dirt from under his fingernails. The only things that can safely enter the underworld are those beings created with that purpose in mind. Ninshabur watched as Enki spat into his hands, <laughs> his saliva glowing with deific power as he rubbed it in the dirt from his nails. His fingers moved deftly, and the dirt ballooned in his hands. It grew and molded into clay, dark brown with sparkling blues darting across it. Enki split the clay into two parts, squeezed it through his fingers, then raised his hands. The two lumps of clay began to float, then shifted into the shape of humans with wings sprouting from their backs. They were naked, but they lacked genitalia, sexless beings built to serve one purpose only. I name thee Galatura and Kurjara. The only laws you follow shall be my own. Now, take the bread and water of life, travel to the underworld, and sprinkle them upon Inanna's corpse. Do whatever you must to appease Ereshkigal and convince her to let Inanna go. Galatura and Kurjara nodded, then flew away. Ninshabur sat down with Enki, and the two awaited the return of their beloved Inanna. Across the world, 
Galatura and Kurjara flew with unmatched speed and clear direction. They approached the entrance to the underworld and flew straight down into the chasm. They themselves gave off no light, but they could see their way in the darkness, their eyes unbound by the visible spectrum of man. They approached the first gate, and before Nady could arrive, they flew into the crack in the stone, their bodies transforming to accommodate any space they might need to pass through. As they flew towards the gates, they saw the me lying on the ground, still glowing with power. They left them there without a second thought, their minds focused instead on their singular purpose. The ground around them began to shake, the earth moving violently, dirt collapsing from the ceiling of the tunnel. The sexless beings continued on, unperturbed. As they approached the final gate, they could hear the cries of a woman in desperate pain. The screams echoed throughout the underworld, shaking the very foundations of the earth. The duo pushed through the final gate and flew forward. They followed the wailing deep into the palace of the dead, all the way to the throne room. There they found Ereshkigal, writhing on a blanket on the floor, her skin covered in sweat, her face red with pain, and her expression one of pure agony. Attendants surrounded her, but there was little they could do. The duo flew up to Ereshkigal and hovered over her body. The attendants backed away in fear, but Ereshkigal, even in her pained state, saw the sexless beings and recognized their creator. You are the magic of Enki. Has my father heard my cries? Galatura and Kurjara knew better than to tell her the truth, that her father had heard nothing at all. Instead, they nodded, implying they had come for her specifically. Thank you, father. I have been in labor for an eternity, but my child is unable to be born. I know not why this is occurring, but his kicks are tearing me apart from the inside out. Please, whatever must be done, please save me from this pain. The sexless beings nodded once more, They looked around the room and noticed Inanna's flayed corpse hanging from a hook on the wall. The beings pointed, drawing Erishkigal's gaze to her rotting sister. You fiends! You would bring back my sister, who came to conquer while I am in my weakest state! The sexless beings shook their heads. They pointed to Erishkigal's belly, then pointed to Inanna's corpse again, hoping she would get the message. (gasps) What have I done? My sister is the goddess of sex, and birth is the product of sex. Without my sister, I cannot give birth at all! With that, Galatura flew to Inanna's corpse and pulled it off the wall, her flesh sliding off the hook with a slick squish. Galatura laid the corpse down next to Ereshkegal and looked at her, trying to get her approval. Fine. If you can bring her back, do it. 
My baby cannot be trapped within me forever. Now with Eresh Kegal's permission, Kurjara pulled from his back the jar of the water of life. The liquid flowed over Inanna's rotting flesh, and as it poured, the flesh began to regenerate, eventually restoring her to her peak physical form. Yet she still laid flat upon the ground, her spirit not yet returned. Galatura pulled from his back the bread of life. He opened Inanna's mouth, placed the bread inside, and moved her jaw to chew. As the food made its way down Inanna's throat, her eyes began to flutter open. We'll see what happens when Inanna is resurrected after this. And now, the conclusion of our story. Enki, god of water and wisdom, had created two sexless beings to save his daughter Inanna, goddess of sex and love, from her sister Ereshkigal, goddess of death. The beings had descended to the underworld to find Ereshkigal suffering from endless labor pains. And with Ereshkigal's permission, they brought Inanna back to life. She rose from her spot, eyes landing on the sexless beings hovering above her. They pointed to the side, where Ereshkigal lay writhing on the ground. Sister, you've, you've brought me back? I'm sure you can tell I didn't have much choice. You're the goddess of death. You could have killed your child and kept your power. <laughs> I'm not like you, Inanna. I'd rather have my child than my throne. <laughs> Take what you will, just let me have my baby. No, you're not like me. And to be honest, I don't think that I am like myself either. Not anymore. <laughs> what do you mean? Just lay back and relax. Inanna placed her hand on Ereshkigal's belly. Her power oozed forth, new and calming. Ereshkigal's baby began to crown, and before long, Inanna had helped her sister give birth to a beautiful, healthy baby boy. Inanna handed the child to his mother, and as she looked at the power of the bond between the mother and child, she realized what she had taken away from her own sister. Now Ereshkigal was without a husband to share in the joy of their child, and the boy was without a father to show him the path to manhood. Sister, I'm sorry. I was fickle, petty, and destructive. And I made it all worse by trying to oust you from your own home. Strike me down again if you wish. It is the only justice I deserve. I've already taken my justice, Inanna. If you will return to the surface in peace, I will let you leave. Thank you, sister. I'm sure the world needs me up above. However, there is one thing you will need to do. The underworld is a world of balance. If a soul should leave, a soul must be given in return. Find a replacement for yourself, or the earth will swallow you once more. A replacement? I will find one, I'm sure. Good. Now, 
As for you sexless beings, your job was to save my sister, correct? Take my power and go with her to claim her replacement. The duo nodded, and Eresh Kagal lifted her hand, pulsing dark energy into their clay forms. Their color became as black as the deepest earth, a dangerous green aura exuded from them, and they grew fangs and pointed wings. They had been transformed into Gala demons, enforcers of the rules of the underworld. Goodbye, sister. Thank you for showing me the error of my ways. I hope to see your child grow tall and strong. You're welcome. Now be gone before I change my mind. With that, Inanna walked to the gate of the underworld, the Gala demons hovering close behind her at all times. The gate opened before her, and she saw upon the ground the golden crown, the me of divinity that she had left only a few days earlier. She grabbed the crown and placed it upon her head, feeling the power reinvigorate her once again. As she proceeded along the path, she picked up each me along the way. When she reached the bottom of the chasm, she lifted herself back into the sunlight, its warmth casting a soft glow upon her skin. She had never felt so alive. As Inanna made her journey out of the underworld, Enki and Ninshabur sat in Enki's temple with the door open to allow a nice breeze through. Enki, drunk once more, fought to keep his eyelids from drooping. <laughs> Has Inanna ever regaled you with the tale of my battle with Abzu and how I chained him below the earth? Your Grace, did you hear that noise? Ninshabur raced to the door to look outside. She saw birds flying this way and that, and people walking about the town. The men were gazing at the women, and the women were giggling at the men. Their renewed vigor could only mean one thing. Inanna was alive. Just as she made this realization, Ninshabur looked up to see a great, beautiful glow descending from the sky. Inanna! You've returned! Then, from the glow came two dark figures dashing forward, sharp claws flashing in the sky. The Gala demons grabbed Ninshabur, their claws piercing through her sackcloth clothing into her skin. Their dark faces snarled as they lifted her into the air. Stop! Not her! She is my loyal servant! I would not be alive if not for her! The Gala demons snarled once more and beat their wings to steal Ninshabur away. In response, the divine me upon Inanna's body began to glow with power, and she shouted, using her divine magic to pry the demon's claws from Ninshabur one by one. Yeah! <sighs> My queen, I cannot describe how happy I am to see you. But if I may ask, what are these vile beasts? They are the arbiters of the underworld, come to take the soul required for me to live with mine. They've tried to steal every person we've passed on our way here, but all have been in mourning clothes, ecstatic upon my return. I, I feel it would be unjust to punish any individual who did not wish to see me dead. 
My only problem is that I cannot think of any single person who would have benefited from my death. Unfortunately, Your Grace, I can think of one. Upon your death, your husband, Dumazid, showed no signs of sorrow. I believe he was more excited to take the throne of Uruk than he was by the prospect of seeing you again. My husband, of all people. Perhaps the world is just after all. Inanna walked into the temple to find her father, passed out drunk, laying sprawled across his couch. She removed the me from her person and placed all seven of them gently at his feet. I'm deeply sorry for all the trouble I've caused you, Father. Thank you for saving me, even after all I put you through. I'll be sure to visit you again soon. Inanna looked up to see Isimud standing in the back corner of the room. He glared at her, but nodded, and when she moved to speak to him, he put a finger up to his lips. He did not want to speak, and Inanna was fine with that. Inanna and Ninshabur quickly boarded their horses, and the pair rode to Uruk with the Gala demons flying closely behind. As the duo approached their home city, they noticed the citizens were throwing a festival. At first, Inanna believed they were throwing a festival in honor of her return, but as she rode through the streets, she noticed the banners were completely different. Instead of her own visage, the banners bore Dumuzid's face with a crown atop his head. Her fury stoked, Inanna used her power to cloak the presence of herself, her servant, and her demons. They marched all the way to the throne room, where they saw Dumuzid himself sitting upon the throne stark naked, slave girls putting grapes in his mouth and parts of him in theirs. With a flash and a flourish, Inanna made herself appear before her husband. The slave girls ran away in fear, and Dumuzid sat gaping up at his wife, eyes full of fear. Inanna, you're back. How wonderful it is to see you. Your sincerity is overwhelming. Be sure to tell my sister how much you missed me when you see her. With the flick of her wrist, Inanna pointed at Dumuzid. The Gala demons rushed forward, sinking their claws into his flesh, his blood dripping to the ground. As Dumuzid's cries echoed out of the throne room, his sister, Jeshtinana, goddess of vegetation, heard him shout. She ran into the room panting, just as the Gala demons were about to carry him out. Wait! Jeshtinana? What are you doing in my palace? While you were dead, the palace was Dumuzid's. It is true that he did not mourn you, not, not like a husband should. But while you were gone, he treated your kingdom well. He ruled justly and wisely, and it would be unjust for you to condemn him for eternity! Someone must take my place, Jeshtinana. Then let it be me. I will take his place as he would take yours. No! You are the goddess of plants. If you descend into death, the people will die with you, unable to feed themselves or their families. Let them take me, sister. It is better this way. 
The Gala demons accepted his offer and continued to fly as Jeshtinana fell to the ground in tears. <laughs> Brother, no! Gala! Please wait just a moment more. There may be another solution. Jeshtinana, Dumuzid. What if every six months you traded places? Half the year Dumuzid would reside in death, while Jeshtinana roams the earth helping the people grow their plants? And the other half of the year, Jeshtinana would stay with death, while Dumuzid helped me rule, guiding shepherds along their way. <laughs> this is just... I agree to this arrangement. Yeah, it's better to be alive half the time than not alive at all. I agree as well. Then let it be so. The Gala demons nodded in agreement. One let go of Dumuzid and flew down to Jeshtinana. He placed his hands upon her hands and melded into her skin, waiting for the right moment to escort her to the underworld. The other maintained his grasp upon Dumuzid and flew away, carrying him deep into the ground. Inanna, happy to be alive, sat down upon her throne. She looked around at her subjects, loyal and loving, and she smiled. After all she'd been through, she had learned what it meant to be just and selfless. Finally, she would be the best ruler she could be, the true queen of heaven. The Sumerians used the myth of Inanna to explain the passing of the seasons. They believed that for half the year, when the flowers would bloom and the sun was warm and the pastures were green, Jeshtinana and her gift of blossoms was upon earth with them. And when the cold would come and the trees would dry, Dumuzid, the good shepherd, was back from the underworld. We can see the influence of this myth later on with the Greek myth of Demeter and Persephone, which also explained the seasons with vegetation gods being trapped in the underworld. Some scholars also think the myth may have been a way of explaining the movement of the planets Venus, Mercury, and Jupiter across the skies. Inanna represents Venus, while Jeshtinana and Dumuzid represent Mercury and Jupiter respectively. As the gods each make their trips to the underworld, the planets travel across the sky, becoming unseen among the stars. Whatever the case may be, the story of Inanna's descent is a powerful one, as Inanna suffers the consequences of her own selfish actions and lust for power, she learns how to become a true ruler and makes amends to her family members and loved ones along the way. What starts as a tragic tale of ego and pettiness transforms into a story of redemption and justice. Perhaps these lessons were among the divine me all along. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every other Saturday, we dive into another dark, classic tale. 
You can find Tales, more episodes of Mythology, and all of ParCast's other shows on Spotify and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Several of you have asked how to help Mythology. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Mahler, and Maggie Admire. This episode of Mythology was written by Jorge Molina and produced by Freddie Beckley. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Jerry Courtney Austin, Mike Capozzi, Susanna Corrington, Harris Markson, Samia Mounts, Cameron Nikad, and Sammy Nye. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thank you.